Curtis. Good morning, church. It is wonderful to be with you. This is a season in this time of year. It's a season of welcome. A lot of welcomes going on. We're doing that in our opening series here. Had a chance to do that. Probably didn't do a great job of that yesterday. It was our first time we went as an entire family to the Aggie game. So my sons have been there before. Our daughter is visiting in town, and so she had not been before and wasn't quite familiar with some of the traditions. You just need to know this about me. I have a slightly twisted sense of humor. So I thought it might be funny to lean over to her and say, hey, I think you ought to ask somebody who this number 12 is. <laughs> so she said, well, who is number 12? I said, no, no, ask somebody. You see, they must be really good. Everybody's wearing their shirt. Now she looked at me with that face that only a daughter can that has been with me for years. She knew better than to ask. So I, I want to be a little more welcoming as we come in here with our opening series. We're doing this series we call Come and See, the beginning of a new, not just academic year, but the new uh, ministry year. It's really the way that this church moves in the rhythm of the academic calendar. And here's a thought, just to think about, I don't know about you, and I know in my life and people that are close to me at times, we have reacted and responded to what we think about Jesus, and sometimes it's not really Jesus. Sometimes we have all sorts of people in our lives that are responding to what they think church is supposed to be like, or they think God is, or they think about Jesus or God, and the problem is they've gotten that from people who haven't always represented him well. So I thought, why don't we start with just a brief three-part series here uh, we call uh, just come and see. Just come and see and listen to Jesus' invitation. What is it that he actually is inviting us to experience and encounter in God? We were obviously not looking at all of his, but we're looking at three different invitations from three different Gospels. We started last week with really the title invitation here in John chapter 1. People come up and they're, Jesus, where are you staying? Really, who are you? What's going on? And he said, come and see. He didn't hand them a book. He didn't hand them a list of rules. He didn't give them a philosophy. He gave them a life. And he said, come and see and abide with me and live with me and watch and see. And when you do, you will see, he says, greater things than you ever imagined in your life. That's the beginning posture we come to Jesus as. And here, what we're going to do, if you have your Bibles or your devices, we're going to look at an invitation from the book of Matthew. It's a classic one. It's Matthew 11. Uh, in starting in verse 25, and one of the things we're, we're experimenting, if you weren't here last week, I won't give the extended description of this for, uh, uh, for, for long, we'll just do it, but let me just say again, we're going to experiment here with reclaiming an ancient tradition, it really goes all the way back, there are several places in scripture you see the practice of standing when the word of God is read, uh, one of my favorite examples of this is Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 5, where it says God really launched a revival and a renewal among God's people when they come out of exile. And there's this pivotal moment where Ezra gets up to read a lot of scripture, and it says he stood, but it said all of the people of God. Can you imagine that moment? All of Israel stood to hear the word of God. Or I think about Jesus' first sermon recorded in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Their practice then, and often throughout Christian history, was to stand to read the Word of God. And it says Jesus stood and read the Word of God, then he actually sat down to teach. So we're going to do that, and at the end, you see this slide. I'm just going to say these words, this is the Word of the Lord. And as we're standing, our bodies are saying the things that our words will say, which is, thank you, God. Thanks be to God. These four words of, of gratitude are actually just quotes straight out of Romans chapter 7, 1 Corinthians 2, and other places. So, fair enough? I won't give the extended introduction all the time, but I do love, as I said last week, a friend of mine said, 
Why don't we stand sometime when God's speaking? Usually we stand when we're speaking. So that's kind of a, just a simple practice for us. So would you please, if you are able, not everybody is, stand out of respect for God uh, as we read his word. Uh, this is from the Gospel of our Lord, book of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 25. At that, ta- at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned And revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Pray with me, please. Father, I pray now as the psalmist did so long ago, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You ever had one of those days? (laughs) You know what I mean by those days? You ever had one of those days when it seems like nothing is going right, when you had big plans and they go totally different than you imagined? I was talking to my friend a while back. He was was getting up and he was running like behind and, and throwing things together. He had something incredibly significant to do that day. I can't remember what it was. I was thinking it was a date, but it actually wasn't. He, he was going some work project or something. So already weighing on his mind was this incredibly significant appointment he had to get to. Then he's running late. He's throwing all these things together and he's cooking down the road to go get to this thing. And of course, you can guess what happens, right? As he's going to this big event, he's thinking about that, trying to get there as fast as he can. What, what happened? He got pulled over. And in this moment, I tell people, by the way, here's a little bit of wisdom if you get pulled over. You know, I I was a chaplain for for our police officers for a long time. Listen, they're lied to every day, so don't try to make stuff up and don't give them excuses, right? They're lied to every day. Even if you have a good excuse, they won't believe it. So here's the best thing to do. Just own it. They pull you over. Just say, hey, man, I'm I'm running late. I I was driving too fast. You're right. You got me. And then I always say, just ask for grace. Say, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Love it if you give me a little break. And this is what this guy did. And so he asked for grace and gets no grace. <laughs> they, they not only write the ticket. I mean, it's one of those days, right? They not only write the ticket. It was one of those where at least sometimes when they pull you over and you're going really fast, they'll drop the speed down on the ticket so you don't get reckless. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you understand what I'm talking about, right? So it's more expensive, right? It's more hassle. It's more points on your life, all that kind of stuff. He didn't get that. I mean, he gets the, he's on the way to this big thing. He gets the ticket, no grace, reckless driving, all of that. So he finally goes, look, listen, that would have been enough to be one of those days. But he goes, he takes care of the event. He's coming back home. He's like, gosh, what a day this has been. I mean, at least I'm done, right? He, at least he's liberated. And on the way home, guess what happened? He got pulled again. <laughs> but here's what's great. On the same day, he got pulled in the same place. Yes, by the same cop. That's one of those days, is it not? Of course, they didn't didn't believe him this time. I don't normally drive like that. He got it both times, reckless, both times. 
one of those days. And I think about that with my friend, we're able to laugh. It hurts your wallet for a while, it hurts your pride for a while. But even as we're laughing, we all know sometimes we have one of those days. Sometimes it's one of those weeks. Sometimes it's one of those seasons of life. And we're not talking about a ticket. And we're not talking about just hurting our wallet. We're talking about hurting our souls. You know what I'm talking about, right? One of the reasons I love this particular invitation so much I love it so much when Jesus is speaking to all of us in those days of our lives, right? He's speaking into that. Come to me. Maybe you've heard this before. Come to me and have rest. Here's what's astounding to me. That invitation didn't just drop down from the sky. It's not just something that shows up on a meme or on your bumper sticker or whatever the case may be on a poster in your house or on a post-it note that we'll do from time to time. Jesus spoke those words in the middle of something And I've taught in this text before, I've read this text before, but it never really hit me until this particular week as I'm praying through this and I'm studying it. Do you realize Jesus gives this invitation to us on our days, one of those days, listen, on one of those days for Jesus. Did you know that? Jesus offers this invitation for suffering and struggle, but it was actually something he was encountering as he said those words. I don't know if I've ever paid attention to that before. Here's a little practice a teacher of mine taught me. I pass it on to you. It's a blessing for me. Whenever you are reading Scripture and you're reading some particular passage, here's a simple practice you can do and it will open things up. I encourage you to read 10 or 20 verses before, just skim it, or, and 10 or 20 verses after. It's called context and it's really powerful. Often when you read what is going on around a particular passage, you will then be able to see more of what's going on in the passage. Does that make sense? And here's what we find when we hear these glorious words of Jesus' invitation on those days in our lives. You find out it's that day for Jesus. What happens at the beginning of the chapter, for example? Have you ever faced rejection before that really hurts when you really cared about something? That's what's going on. At the beginning of chapter 11, Jesus is calling out the crowds because I know this never happens for the rest of history of religious people, but the religious people are never satisfied. And Jesus is calling the crowd out for that. He said, there's a guy named John who came as my forerunner and predecessor to pave the way for me and you ignored John some people followed him but the crowds he's talking to there you ignored him because he was weird and he was crazy and he had all these really strict rules and you didn't follow him and then he says you didn't follow me either and I'm coming and I'm among you and I'm doing things John didn't do and I'm eating and drinking things he wouldn't drink and you're not following me he said you're like someone this is Dean's translation who uh, is playing kind of hip-hop and rock and you won't dance and you're playing the blues and you won't cry and he said I can't please you That's the story's beginning. Jesus is feeling that offering himself to somebody and they reject him, push him away. Right before this passage, the next thing that happens, he calls out entire towns. Have you ever had somebody in your life that's kind of pretended to befriend you, but you only realize they only like you for what you can do for them or what you can give them and you feel used? Right before this moment, Jesus calls out entire towns because he said, you saw that I did miracles for you, but you showed up just for the show. And you didn't come to me for the substance I wanted to give. What does that feel like? That's what's going on before these words. And then the heat turns up even more. Right after he says this wonderful invitation to those people who are struggling and hurting and suffering. What happens right after this is he encounters those religious people who keep piling on baggage on the backs of other people. 
Pharisees and religious leaders come up to Jesus and rebuke him for breaking not God's rules, but their rules. Again, I, I'm so glad that never happens anymore, that religious people add rules to what God has said and expectations and judgments based on what, in addition to what they think when they read the passage. This is what they did. They read the Sabbath rules in such a way that hungry people couldn't even eat. And in the next passage, Jesus' disciples are hungry and they pop the heads of grain off of wheat and they get scathingly rebuked by the religious leaders. And so Jesus calls them out for that. In fact, in fact, part of what he says is he says, look, the, the rules and the guidance that I'm giving you in Scripture isn't to destroy your life, it's to give you life. And he said, in fact, I'm even Lord of the rules. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. And I just want you to know where this setting of the invitation comes because the last verse in that section right after what Jesus says is chapter 12 verse 14 and this is what it says from that moment on the religious leaders the people who are supposed to accept him plotted how to kill Jesus I would say that's one of those days right and isn't it glorious doesn't it just make you love our Lord all the more that when he gives the invitation to people who are struggling and hurting he's not just saying it to you he is saying that in the midst of his own struggle and his own suffering and his own pain isn't that glorious about our Lord so Jesus what is it that you would call us to do in fact what do you model for us when we're going through one of those days or weeks or seasons of our lives well, the very first thing you see Jesus do is begin to focus on the mystery of God. Staggering to me where he starts. I'll be honest with you, I chose this because, I mean, it's got our language come. It's a beautiful invitation of Jesus. Maybe we've heard it before. I wanted to lean into this. I wanted to rush to, chat, to verse 28. I wanted to rush the invitation. Uh, invitation. Yeah, it is the invitation. <laughs> Feeling like, come forward as we say and say. I wanted to rush to that, but here's what I saw. Before I saw that, I saw a prayer. Isn't it interesting? On one of those days, on one of those seasons of Jesus' life, the first words out of Jesus' mouth were words of praise. Verse 25. On one of these days where people are rejecting him and betraying him and missing out on him and refusing what he has to offer and ultimately wanting to kill him, the first words that he says in prayer is, Father, I praise you. By the way, I want to be quick to say, this is really important, that doesn't mean when you're going through a difficult time, just put on a fake smile and say happy, nice things. That's not what's going on here. In fact, Jesus will model elsewhere in the New Testament, certainly in the Old Testament, read the book of Psalms, there is an avenue of prayer called lament where you can grieve and you can be angry and you can let God know it. Jesus will do that. But even lament Psalms will always end in praise. What is praise about? Think about the difference between praise and thanksgiving. This is really important. Thanksgiving is thanking and celebrating God for what God's done. Praise is celebrating God for who God is. And it's interesting to me, in a time of difficulty, Jesus models something. I'm going to focus on God's identity in a time when I don't understand his activity. Does that make sense? This is really important. In times of difficulty and struggle, I'm going to start, or maybe end, if you have to lament first, I'm going to go to this place of God's identity because I don't understand or sometimes, frankly, appreciate his activity or lack thereof. Does that make sense? 
Jesus begins to focus on God, but not just God in general. I call it the mystery of God. Why? It's a strange thing to praise God for. Did you catch this? If you just read it fast. I praise you, Father, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned. You've hidden these things. What things? The things about who Jesus is, the remarkable work and purpose and mission of God in Jesus Christ. There were people that were getting in there, people that weren't. And he said, I praise you, Father, you've hidden these things from the wise and learned. As we're beginning an academic year in a really smart town, in a smart place, in a smart church, it's probably important to hear this. Praise you, Father, because the wise and learned are not getting it. Now that sounds strange. Now, I ultimately don't think that's the point of what he's doing because we've got to keep reading. But just for a moment, can we understand that Jesus in his struggle and his pain turns to the identity of God and is willing to put in front of all of us the mystery of our God. Can't figure him out. Can't always understand God. He starts with this something in God's nature that is inherently hidden and a little bit obscure. He starts there. Now, why does he do this? Not to trip us up. Watch what happens next. And again, the rest of that line is powerful to me. Why does Jesus start with the mystery? Because I believe the mystery actually opens the door to see what we would not see otherwise. The mystery of God opens up our hearts to receive the invitation we're not quite ready to hear yet. We'll get there, but I don't want to miss the prayer. Think about it this way. What does Jesus say? It's not about the hidden. He's not saying, I, I'm really happy, God, you didn't tell people. That wasn't the point. He wanted everybody to get it. What was he celebrating? The rest of the sentence. I praise you, Father, you've hidden this from the wise and the learned, but you have revealed it to whom? You can talk to me. He says this elsewhere. This is really important. What does he say? You've revealed it to little children. Now, he's not talking literally. That may be the case. But that's not what he's talking about. He uses that image throughout the Gospels as a picture of what he wants his disciples to be. And isn't it powerful in this moment? He's having a really rough day. He praises God for God's identity. And he focuses not on destroying his enemies, but thanking God for his friends. But this is what's so beautiful. He said, I praise you, God, that you are a God of revelation. But what is the door to receive God's revelation? It is the door of childlike faith. Now, let's talk about this for a little bit because you can go fast forward to Matthew 18 and Jesus pulls a little child in and says, unless you become like little children, same language, you will not enter the kingdom of God. It's not talking about going to heaven. You won't see what God's doing. The door into the mystery and wonder of God is childlikeness in some spiritual way. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I grew up kind of thinking, well, I've heard people say, well, it's the innocence of childhood. Go have children. I love you all, but it ain't innocence. Do you understand? <laughs> Not since we fall, fell and broke the world. What is it? Well, I've often told the story. I don't think I've shared it here, but this is, again, I started for a reason. We have a slightly twisted sense of humor in our family, mostly me. But when our kids were all little... We used to do this little silly thing from time to time. Our kids would come home from school or we'd get around, they'd come out from playing, and remember, they're kind of small, and they would come in and say, so what's for dinner? And warped as I am, we would say, I don't know, what are you cooking? Just for a moment, I want you to picture a small child's face when you say that, <laughs> before they know you're joking. Like, I still remember, you know, one of our kids one time, and his response was, 
I don't have a job. <laughs> it was so beautiful. Here's the thing I want you to think about. Part of the surprise on a child's face when you say something like that, first of all, they can't even fathom that a good parent would not provide for them, right? Again, we're sense of humor here, bad. But they just assume. But here's what's even more important. Please grasp this. They can't even imagine for a moment that they are the one that is supposed to provide what they need. Do you hear me? Jesus says, unless you come to God with this kind of radical, dependent, I need you faith, you're going to miss, it's not that God's evil, you will miss out on the gift that God wants to give. Does that make sense? Jesus says, I, I praise you, God, because the smartest people in the world think they can do it on their own, but the people that see you and see me know they can't even fathom that they might try to be holy on their own or righteous on their own or accept, acceptable on their own or successful on their own or live forever on their own. They just assume the Father will give that to them. Does that make sense? I just love this about Jesus. He says, when you grasp the mystery of God, it opens up the possibility. And surrounding this story are all sorts of brilliant PhD kind of people who miss out on the wonder of God because they don't come with open hearts and open hands to say, I can't do it. Jesus, will you respond to this? What do you do on one of those days? Boy, a great starting point is I praise you, Father, because I can't do this on, on my own. What did Jesus go on to say? No one fully knows God. No one fully knows God unless the Son reveals God to them. So we come at the beginning of the year with open hands and open hearts to say, we can't do this. Well, when we get to that, then now we're ready to hear the invitation. So let's hear it again. Let me just read that part again. I'm going to read it in two different translations just take it in this is the most important part of today nothing i say verse 28 come to me jesus says in those days and seasons of your life be ready for it because they will come come to me all you all you who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When Jesus comes, he's offering us to come no matter where we start, no matter where we've been, whatever baggage we carry in our lives, whatever circumstances going on in our lives. And he said, you come here and I'm going to lead you to rest. I'm going to lead you to life. More on that part in a moment, but just get this picture in our mind. Jesus' invitations, all the ones we're looking at are invitations to the fullest experience of life. What did he say in John 10, 10? I came so that you might have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full. What does he say here? I'm coming to give you soul rest. Here's what I want to do for a moment. Just let, let the word of God speak to you. I want to read it in the message. There's a translation called the message. I know it's more paraphrasy. And so I never use it as a main preaching text. But I'm telling you, this translation of this passage of Scripture is a life verse for me. And I want to offer it to you. And I just want to read it. If it helps you to close your eyes, I'm going to read it twice here. If nothing else I say matters, just let one word or phrase just grab your heart. And let that be your worship today. Because hear me, this is Jesus' invitation. And I'm telling you, he nails this translation at the heart. So hear this. Hear this from Jesus. Jesus says, are you tired? You're worn out, burned out on religion. 
Come to me, Jesus says. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. One of the greatest lines of all the Bible, this translation, listen to this. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. Let me read that one more time. Hear Jesus. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. Isn't that glorious? A couple things just to recognize about this. You might hear these words, especially if you're a person of action. You love to do stuff. Don't misunderstand what Jesus says. When he says come and rest, he's not talking about like a chill passive rest. He's talking about an active rest. A couple words that he goes on to say are important to see. He says, take my yoke upon you. That's a big deal. Take my yoke upon you. A couple of things, if you're like me, I grew up with all sorts of images of what this is and they aren't actually right to the historical thing. And then I learned some cool stuff later on and that wasn't totally right. So uh, just offer this as just a lot of study. I just looked on this word. I just dug into it. So First of all, um, how many of you heard text on this before and you picture the animal yoke, like you got the ox and, and so it seems like such a sweet thing. We got Jesus pulling and I'm pulling, he's doing most, that's so beautiful and not accurate. It's not what the yoke is. There's an animal yoke that's often used as a burdensome thing and they do that with the Old Testament. There's an animal yoke. There's also a human yoke. Have any of you seen the chosen picture, the way uh, the woman walks, Samaritan woman walks to the well? There's a human yoke that you put on yourself to distribute a burden equally across your shoulders. And the point of the yoke is that it is less burdensome when the yoke is on you than when it's not. So it used to be, okay, we got this really heavy burden, but at least Jesus is pulling it. No, Jesus says, I'm going to give you a yoke, but the yoke actually lightens your load. It doesn't, it doesn't make it harder. Does that make sense? I also heard Rob Bell and some other people say the yoke is the word, technical word for a rabbi's teaching. That may become true later in the first century. I could find no evidence of that in the first century when Jesus was talking. What I can find... Scripture after scripture after scripture in the Old Testament will talk about there's yokes that God wants to break, the animal wants to get rid of. There's also the lightning burden in yokes that God wants to give us. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, Isaiah and other places will talk about God's word, God's law, but don't think of the speed limit stop sign line, God's guidance in the Torah and all of that as a yoke. And he said, sometimes you have made your life miserable because you threw off my yoke. Do you hear that? It's a different image. God said, I gave you direction and guidance for your life, and I want you to use that. It will lighten your load, but you threw it off. You hear all that? Take my yoke. All of that to say, yoke is an image of surrender to the God who knows where he's going. So Jesus says, take my yoke, because I know where I'm going, and I'm going to actually lighten your load, not heavy it. Second one, in fact, To me, this is probably the most important, especially for religious people to hear. Hear these words. Because again, I can hear this passage, 
take my yoke and, oh, gosh, I'm going to get beaten up by religious rules. No, he said, learn from me. What a glorious invitation of Jesus. Listen to that. Learn from me. If that's not liberating to you, let me, let me unpack it in a way that you can hear this. Learn from me. Um, for me, at the, at the beginning of, uh, of this time of year, and I apologize for this. I want to make sure I'm, I'm not missing something. Yeah. Um, this time of year, Josh, I appreciate I talk about football too much at the beginning of the year, too. So I'm, I'm there with you. It comes out. Um, so this time of season, I'm going to give you a football analogy. But I remember when I first started coaching, I was coaching eight-year-old boys. So you understand this? Eight-year-olds. And I learned something, and I would teach them. It's almost a mantra that they had to learn pretty early on because I wanted them to get it. It was so great in first service because a couple of the guys that I'm, I'm still coaching now, helping out coach, we're there, and so we got to do a little back and forth here. But so here's what it did. I want you to picture like the first practice or something, and somebody screws up. They go the wrong way. They do the wrong thing. And so I would create a little conversation piece. I said, here, I want you to understand this. Players, when you make a mistake because you don't know what to do, whose fault is that? Can you guess what they said? Whose fault is it if you don't know what to do? What, what do you think that they would say? Well, it's my fault. I, mean, I did it this morning, and Jake said, it's my fault. I said, no, it's not. If you make a mistake because you don't know what to do, it is my fault because I'm the coach. I'm supposed to teach you. And if you don't know what to do when you're out there, that's on me. I need to teach you better. Now, I would go on to say, that doesn't mean you just kind of go out and do what you want. Here's the thing that's on you, effort. I can't coach that, and I can't make you do that. If you go all in, that's your job. If you're leaving it on the field, that's effort, that's on you. But if you don't know what to do, that's on me. My goal is to get you to where you don't even have to think. You're doing what you're doing. Now, I'm sorry for all those that hate football. Put that aside. Listen to Jesus. What did he say? You can't know God on your own. Jesus says, if you want to know God, that's on me. If you ever feel like you don't know enough and you don't understand enough, Jesus says, cool, that's on me. If you're not good enough, Jesus says, cool, that's on me. If you fail, Jesus says, listen to me, that's on me. Why did I tell that to eight-year-olds? I wanted them to be free. I'll tell them, if you're going to make a mistake, make it boldly. <laughs> Go out and do it. I'm going I'm to teach you as well as I can. And you get to learn because I'm not going anywhere. Do you hear this? As liberation. I know you hear, we were talking, I was sitting in the college class today, and you hear the authoritative word of God. And Brian, you do such a great job teaching that. Hear me, and this is Brian's heart too because we talked about this before. If you walk out here and, oh, here's 20,000 more rules I got to go do, hear the word of the Lord. Jesus says, learn from me. I mean, sometimes you're going to screw it up. You're going to misunderstand it. You won't know. Jesus said, fine, I'm here. That's on me. Now, are you willing? Are you open? That's on you. I'm not going to force you, Jesus said. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus' invitation is an invitation to disciple-making, like I get to be a student for the rest of my life. That's liberating. And hear me, Jesus will never quit until he teaches you everything he wants you to know about life and empowers you to grow into that. Isn't that? And so that leads to the last thing quickly. I want you to see the invitation of Jesus. Please hear me. An invitation of Jesus is not a burden. It is a delight. By the way, I had to take a picture. <laughs> What's a picture of delight right now? Playing in a puddle. <laughs> Go talk to Tamara. Silas, it was raining, and we got, a, we got a video of him outside just like this, That like 20 minutes it rained. 
please hear me. If you come and gather in a church and you walk out feeling religious expectation and baggage, it's not Jesus. Because he said, my way is a delight, it's not a burden. How, his words, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, confessional moment. This is the way I read scripture. I'll read it sometimes. I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't believe that. I'm just being real. Following Jesus is not easy. Going to church, sometimes kind of easy, not when preachers, whatever. Yeah. But following Jesus is not easy. What does he mean when he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? What does he mean by that? I'll give you a little analogy. I remember when I was growing up, have you ever had times when your parents said something? They've got these little mantras, they'll say these little, these little um, proverbs that they will say. And if we're really honest, they make no sense. Has anybody had that experience before? All right. One of my mom's many little proverbial statements she would make. When I was little, I would come home from school. I got all my school clothes on. I would immediately take them off, throw them off. Whatever season it was, we were going to go play. So I put all my stuff on. I'd throw it all in the floor, and I would go out and play. So here is my mom's wisdom. She said it all the time. She said, Dean, pick up your stuff because it takes the same amount of time to hang it up than it does to throw it in the floor. In fact, sometimes she would have the audacity to say, quite often, Dean, it takes less time to hang it up than to throw it in the floor. Now listen, even as a young child, I was a lawyer. I'm just telling you. So I'm going to make my case. And I got a little, you know, stopwatch on my clock. And so like an arrogant little kid, I would say, throw it on the floor, three seconds. Hang it up, 20 seconds. I rest my case. This went on for years. And I remember the day when I got it. Don't you hate when they're right? I was getting ready to, I was practicing law at the time, and I had a lineup of suits that I wore. Yes, I did wear a suit every day, and I had it all lined up. And, and I was scurrying around. I had to get, uh, to get to work, and I couldn't find my belt. Couldn't find my belt. Couldn't find my belt. I'm looking everywhere. I'm looking all over the place. It took me 30 minutes to find my belt. And then it hit me. I literally called my mother. I hate it when you're right, but I get it. You were talking long-term. You were talking big-picture vision. And I began to think of all of the hours that I spent looking for stuff that was piled up somewhere because I threw it down and I didn't put it up. And lo and behold, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It actually does take less time to hang it up than to throw it in the floor. I hate that. And we laugh, but I can't say this any more seriously. Jesus is begging us to get this. My way is easier than sin. My way is easier than your way. You think you know what will make you happy. You think you will know that will, what will light up your life. You think you will know what will fire you up and sustain you. And he's begging you to hear it now because there will be a day, trust me, in your life where you look around at the wreckage and the mess of your own decisions. And Jesus said, I love you. I'll still save you. I'm gracious to you. But I wanted to spare you from that mess. Do you hear him? My yoke, he said, I promise you, it's not always easy to follow Jesus' way. It's not always easy. That's why I'm going to give you, next series, the Holy Spirit to help you. But hear me. My way is ultimately, long-term, big vision, infinitely easier, freer, more liberating than anything you would ever choose to do. Do you hear the invitation?
of Jesus. Now, we end with this. You've got to hear this because sometimes I hear that and I hear even in my own heart, oh my gosh, I'm so far from him. What he wants in his yoke. Jesus' invitation is open to all. It's open to everybody. If you are early on in the journey and you believe him enough to say, I'm hanging up the belt and I'm going your way, great. If you're standing there in the middle of the wreckage of your life, Jesus says, come to me, not just those who have it together. Come to me, not just those who haven't screwed it up. Uh, Not just those who uh, decided from the beginning. No, come to me, what? All who are worn out, who are burned out on religion and all the other baggage, burned out by their own choices, come to me all, and I will give you rest and life. It's open to everybody. One of the reasons why you'll hear me all the time, I'll drop in in the welcome. If you're looking for a perfect place, don't come here. Because at very least, everybody out here might be perfect, but your minister is not. Okay, so we're at least starting with a mess up here, right? But we're all broken, right? I, there was a guy that taught me this so beautifully. I told a few of you this story. I worked for a season of my life as a chaplain, mostly to police officers, but there was a whole versions of the ministry. And I was interviewing. It was so funny. Those of you who know me will laugh at this. So this guy, Corky is his name, and he is in every way, lives up to his name. He's a great guy. Uh, Corky said, you know, I'm ready to hire you. I've only got one problem with you because I was working in law at the time, and every time I came to talk to him, wearing a suit. <laughs> he said, I'm just afraid you're a little too buttoned up for us. I thought it was great. I said, everybody that has ever worked with me in my life, including my mother, would laugh at that statement, but I get, understand what you're saying. But this is what he said. He gave me language that I love. He said, some of you have heard me say this before. He said, the reason you need to know this is because we're not housebroken here. (laughs) And the folks we minister to are not housebroken. I just love that. And he told me the story of one guy in particular. His name is Ron. He said, when Ron came to him for the first time, this guy was strung out on every drug imaginable. His life was a wreck. In fact, it wasn't just all of the typical thing. His body was like wasting away. He's in his 40s, his body, maybe 50. His body was wasting away because of all of the abuse that he'd done to it. And then they came to this Bible study. <laughs> it's not your average Bible study. They called it Holy Smokes. Because a couple guys would sit around, you know what I mean? They'd sit around with police officers and whoever else wanted to come. And some of them would smoke cigars. I just smelled like cigars. But... And I remember when I first came and sat down and they were reading through the book of Matthew. They're just reading through the book of Matthew and just looking at Jesus. And some were smoking cigars. So Holy Smoke. Ron came to Holy Smokes. And they said when he first came, he wasn't housebroken, man. He's cussing the blue streak and talking about Jesus and all this kind of stuff. I mean, he was raw, dude. By the time it was done, I came in the ministry right after he had passed away. I mean, he, he gave his life so fully to Jesus. But his body couldn't recover. But they said by the end of the time that he spent with him, he went from the guy needing the invitation to the guy giving the invitation. Do you hear this? He said, come on to this crazy Bible study. But they accept me, they'll accept anybody. And they just came, and they just came, and they just came. Do you know how I knew Ron? I didn't know him as this addict who was sleeping on a hundred-year-old uh, house, in a hundred-year-old house that we were donated on this old dusty couch. I didn't know him from that. I didn't know him strung out of drugs. I knew him as the one that they named the, uh, the golf tournament after, the Ron Griffith Memorial Golf Tournament. And can you imagine, what is the distance that Jesus has to travel to take a strung-out addict, cussing a blue streak and all that kind of stuff, to the guy that you name a Christian nonprofit fundraiser after year after year? 
What makes that possible? Because no matter where he'd been and what he'd done, Ron Griffith, when he sat around that fire and he heard the book of Matthew, he heard the invitation of Jesus, come and see me. Come and see me and come and receive whoever, wherever you are, whatever you want to do, you can come to me. And he heard the word all, no matter where you've been, what you've done. And Jesus transformed his life. So wherever you stand today, whether it's one of those days or it's been one of those days or it'll be there in the future, I want to become the kinds of people who first respond like Ron. I need him that much. I need him that much. I'm as strung out in my crazy as anybody else's in anything else. I need him that much. But here's the great thing. I also want to be that guy who, because Jesus invited me, I say, come on. I'm crazy and I'm nuts, but come on. And you gather around the fire too. Come and see the man who says, I will give your soul rest and you will never regret the yoke I invite you to wear. Jesus, we thank you so much. You've rescued us again and again and again. You have called out invitations to us. We've all been the wise and learned who had it figured out. We've been the folks who were desperate. And all along the way, you invite us to take one step more closer and closer to your heart. Thank you for receiving us. And then thank you for transforming us in such a way that even as you are teaching us and we're learning your way, we get to invite other people to join the journey as well. That's our prayer, Father, that it's not just something we talk about, but that is our identity as we go forward into this year. We praise you in the resurrected name of Jesus. Amen. Please stand. Great.